is Pete Moore here on Halo Talks NYC. I'm here with my good friend, Lee Randall, managing partner, Top Spin Partners. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Pete. Great to see you, buddy. Excellent. So uh, what we're going to talk about today is uh, one, Lee's background as a uh, as a seasoned uh, entrepreneur and a CFO and then a, a private equity guy in building companies and uh, you know, doing it more from the, the family office and the relationship side versus some of the more institutional capital that, that's out in the market. And we'll explain to our audience what the difference is uh, between the two. And um, just talk about how private equity and, and how Topspin works with companies, you know, to take them from uh, a business that uh, is, is mostly founder or family owned and, and bring them to the next phase of growth, which, you know, has its own toolkit. So, Lee, why don't you give your personal background first and, uh, and then I'll fire questions away uh, as I feel like it. Sure, Pete. Excellent. No problem. Great to be here. Thanks a lot, buddy. So, I was just uh, telling your friends here that I started out in the law, which was a regrettable choice for me. It was the <laughs> wrong fit entirely, um, but uh, it was a great training ground and was able to escape in less, almost just less than three years. Impressive. Um, where I went to a firm called McKinsey, which some of your listeners listeners may have heard of. It's a big business consulting firm, and it was a great place for me just to learn business generally. From there, I began my entrepreneurial path. Uh, I joined a company that was the first company to build sports fantasy games online. Oh, wow. Before ESPN wow. was doing it, before Yahoo was doing it, before CBS Sportsline, we were doing it. And uh, you know, back then, people were like, what's a sports fantasy game? It's you know? on AOL dial-up, or what, what was well, the you know, a lot uh, technology? Of the, <laughs> exactly. You're, this was this was an enormous technological change. No longer did you have to go to the newspaper and uh, right. add Look up at the with a calculator or all the box scores. Sure, right? sure. You could do this on a computer. Um, and it was a great experience for me. I got into to, to business. It was my first chance to really figure out what it was like to operate a business. I, I led the entire business side of the business as opposed to the technology side. Okay. Uh, the name of the company was Small World Media um, and was there for about two years. And it, we had some ups and downs. It was right around the time of the dot-com bubble. Yep, um, so there. we had to deal with that bursting. I was uh, there writing was, checks to, to cover payroll back in the day. I know <laughs> uh, the feeling. You and I were in the same place, just different locations. Yep, but, uh, exactly. In any event, um, we sold that company to uh, Vulcan Ventures, which was uh, the, the enterprise run by Paul Allen. Yeah, RIP. Yeah, and it was merged in with Sporting News. Yep. And from there, I then went to another company that was private equity backed. Uh, this one was totally different. Um, it was a day spa company called Stonewater. Sure. We went out and we acquired about 22 different day spas across the country, which was an interesting experience. As people like to say, you know, your due diligence must have been interesting. Right, right. <laughs> but, but I have to say, I did in, in, in two years of doing this, this particular exercise, I did not get one free massage, one free facial, nothing. Well, I'd say that I've been to What's a thousand that? health clubs and I've worked out on like six of them. So it's exactly. not something to be really proud of. That's exactly but, but, right. Uh, so in any event, we acquired these spas. We, um, we improved them by bringing in a more professionalized retailing environment. So we brought in some great products, made the merchandising within these spas beautiful so that people were buying more than just services. They're buying products, too, mm -hmm. which was where the margin is. Um, and in about 2004, that company was sold um, to a salon company out of Canada, and I joined Topspin Partners, which is where I am today. Which, um, you know, um, lower middle market private equity fund you know, give us some of the, the, yeah, the so metrics on that. And then I want to ask you a couple more questions before you get there. So start. Perfect. Please. Thank you. Uh, Thank Topspin you. is, uh, 
Thank you. Lower middle market, as you said. <laughs> we focus on consumer-oriented uh, companies. So we're buying small, up-and-coming brands, both consumer products and consumer services. Uh, we've been at it since 2000, so a long time. And when we say small companies, we talk about companies that are, you know, doing, call it as low as 10 to 15 is, of revenue and as high as 75 to 100, somewhere in that, in that range. And a lot of what we invest in is our family-owned businesses, guys who, or guys or gals who are looking to take what they've built, which is essentially the foundation of a really nice brand, mm-hmm. uh, and realize they have potential with it, tremendous potential, but don't know quite how to get it to that next level, you know, from 20 million of sales to 50 and beyond. Um, and, you know, that, t- that takes a certain amount of risk-taking, a certain amount of capital, a certain amount of expertise, um, and that's where we step in, you know, with so, so you and I have known each other now probably going on close to like 12 years probably. Um, how do you think, you know, going, going to, to Duke undergrad, getting your, you know, academic, uh, you know, credentials and, and learning about business and learning about the world and then going to Harvard Law School and understanding, you know, how corporate business works and what you can and can't do and then kind of doing some entrepreneurial things that make you realize that not everything is in an Excel spreadsheet. Like I used to work at Chase Manhattan Bank. Someone stand above my shoulder and say, hey, cut cut expenses by 30% and grow revenue by 30% and you know, run out the model. Right. And now you're like, yeah. you know, you've already experienced like, okay, if I, I got to do due diligence, I got to buy something, I got to integrate it, I got to change the retailing. You know, I've been in a startup, so I know like how an owner feels when you write a check from your personal account to your to your business account, like did, you can't describe what that feels like until you do it. And like, how has that made you kind of, how has it made you as a, as a investing professional and also like topspin as a firm, like understand founders different than maybe somebody worked at a bank and now is like in private equity and like the spreadsheet and there's a PowerPoint as a board meeting. So maybe talk about how your life experience has kind of differentiated you as a firm. It's a great question. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. So, I think to be effective in the lower middle market, um, these smaller companies that we work with, family-owned businesses, you have to have sat on the operating side of the table or at least need to have that as part of your firm. Because what we hear over and over from these small business owners is there is a complete lack of appreciation of what they've accomplished to get to where they are. Sure. Um, they, they sit across the table from someone with a fancy degree. You'll notice I didn't mention my degrees because I try not to talk I about apo- them. I apologize. <laughs> um, who, you know, has a blazer on, has the, the highest end computer and has fancy spreadsheets running mm-hmm. and starts criticizing your business. Why haven't you done this? Why haven't you done that? Right. And it's to them, you're not speaking their language because they don't realize how many struggles you've overcome to get to where you are, how hard it is to find and hire good people to work in a family owned business, um, how hard it is to make that decision to put capital into your business instead of taking that vacation. Mm-hmm. Right. How painful it is when something goes against you um, and how that keep really does literally keep you up at night for days on end because it's hitting your pocketbook. It's affecting your ability to pay for your, your kid's college education. Right. These are the sorts of struggles that if you haven't been in a startup or a family owned business or something that has gone through these types of struggles, you can't understand. Yep. Agreed. And, um, you know, so so when you get into that type of business to help that person out to go to the next level, you have to understand that mindset. You have to understand what they went through to get there mm-hmm. because it's going to color every decision you make with them, right? So that's that, I think, is the most valuable piece, being able to get into their mind. I've sat on the other side of private equity firms, mm-hmm. right? I've 
been the critic of this attitude. So right. I know exactly what it feels like to, to feel mm-hmm. it inherently. And, um, you know, I think that's really resonated with a lot of our business owners. And it's one of the reasons why we've been successful in these sort of partnership deals, you know, with family business owners. Yeah. So w- when you think about, you know, we, we've got a lot of clients that, uh, I don't know, one in particular, there was uh, a guy who owned a dozen health clubs out in, um, in Tennessee, Kentucky, Ohio. And uh, he came to me and says, Hey, look, I've got a great team. I got to keep growing. And, uh, my wife uh, notified me the other day that like I'm personally guaranteed on you know ten million dollars of bank debt, and I've signed uh, basically like twelve leases that are all million dollar a year leases, and you know our personal financial statement might look good until you look at my like contingent liabilities, and that kind of like forced him into like okay let's go and basically professionalize the business to the point where he didn't personally have to personally guarantee right. the business. So when you get into situations of where, you know, top spin comes in and you're like the first, you know, quote unquote professional capital, you know, and you're basically like providing almost like a trampoline, if you will, for the, for the entrepreneur and the, and the company basically make maybe not say more risky decisions, but, but more conventional and commercial decisions. Cause it's not necessarily, you know, the downside risk is like, we got a, a C corp or we got an LLC. We don't have like your personal bank account. So talk about like how you've taken companies. If you want to use a example of one where you said, okay, look, here was the situation. Here's what we did. You know, we're pretty methodical about it. You've got experience. I I'd say experience is what you get when you don't get what you want. So like you've seen everything. So like what's another movie and you'll say, okay, here's how to respond to that. So maybe give us like an example of how top spins kind of taken an entrepreneur and said, okay, look, let me help you get it from there, from here to, to the next level. Right. No, happy to do it. And, uh, you, 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 before I get to the example, you, uh, you honed in on something really important, you know, in private equity, one of the things you'll always hear, right. Is we want you to have skin in the game, right? We hear it from our investors. We have to invest in our funds. And right. of course you hear funds say it to, to, to companies that they invest in. We want the owner to keep, to stay in. And it is true. You want skin in the game, but too much skin in the game is, can be just as damaging as too little. Interesting. Um, because, while you want the person to care about the outcome, if they have too much riding on it, right, their entire net worth, for example, or a big, big, big chunk of it, sometimes they can become way too risk averse and you can't grow that company. So yep. it's a balancing act. What, what does skin in the game mean? So anyway, to go to your question in terms of an example, we invested in a company uh, called JD Beauty back in 2015, excuse me, late 2015. And JD Beauty makes a product, um, which probably a lot, of, a lot of your listeners have in their homes if they have daughters, uh, which is called the wet brush. The wet yeah. brush is um, the fastest growing consumer brush. When I say consumer, for the mass consumer market um, by far, and also has a very nice position in the professional market with stylists. In fact, that's its heritage. And... Uh, we invested in this company in 2015. The guy who started it, great friend of mine named Jeff Rosenzweig, had launched this product and it had been very successful among stylists and was getting a bit of a word of mouth following. Um, and he knew he had something special with it. Its detangling abilities were better than everything else on the market. He had added a fashion and style element to it. So there were designs on the brush and it was really resonating with consumers, but he had sort of reached what he felt was his limit in terms of where he could take it. Right. And uh, he had just begun to get it into the mass market with Target. Um, and so he's looking for an investor who could come in and say, OK, let's expand this brand. Let's expand its distribution. Let's diversify the product line. Maybe let's do some acquisitions. Mm-hmm. Right. And bring, a, bring in a whole team that can make that happen. Right. This was 
a company, but really all of the innovation and all of the uh, sales energy was coming from one guy. Mm-hmm. And you needed to build a company around this guy. Mm-hmm. So we invested. Uh, it was seen when we bought it, uh, when we bought control, I should say, as a one-trick pony, you know, one detangling brush. What's so special about a brush? Probably some of the things your, your listeners are thinking about uh, if they don't know the product already. Um, Jeff stayed involved. Um, he rolled over into our deal, significant stake. He remained CEO for the first year and a half and then ultimately ceded the position to somebody else and became our chairman. Over that period, we grew distribution of the wet brush brand to just about every major retailer that you can think of. You'll, you'll see it in Walmart, you'll see it in CVS and Walgreens. Every mass retail outlet has the wet brush in it. Mm-hmm. More importantly, we took the product line and really innovated around it. Right, um, created what was once a one-trick pony became an entire lo- line of brushes around the wet brush brand, and so now we can hold a wall in brushes, mm-hmm. uh, and became, we really became the one company that innovated in the category. Right, I mean it was a very boring category before wet brush came in, and we made it more transformative, more fashionable, more hip. Uh, we created a whole social media you know, uh, engine around this brand, um, and what you'll do if you go down the street and you meet someone who's ever has a wet brush, you, you get a totally different reaction with respect to this product than you do with respect to any other brush product on the market. Like, I have that. I love it. It saved my painful brushing moments with my daughter, and, oh, okay. you know, that kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And then a couple, year, uh, a couple years in, we started doing acquisitions. We, built, we uh, added on a, um, a hair appliance line called Bioionic, which is uh, electrical uh, appliances, hair dryers, hair straighteners, and the like. We then bought a curly hair line called WeDad. So now you have a fully diversified hair products company with three very strong brands in it that you can grow from, an enormously uh, passionate consumer following. And this was all out of this great idea and this great engine that, that, that Jeff had created, but really wouldn't have come to pass in the last three years without us teaming up with him. I mean, he's very, he was a very important part of it, but of course, our capital, our advice... Our uh, guidance in terms of company building was critical. So. And, when, and when you're on the, um, whether it's you, you, you personally on the board, whether it's you know some of your uh, other senior guys on the board of a company, you know, explain for a minute. You know, what, Topsman doesn't just show up for a quarterly board meeting. Like right. I know you guys are working this like as if you're like part of the the you know finance or even part of the management team from from the back. So maybe just give a little bit of. Uh, exposure into how many guys you have, you know, how many portfolio companies they're working on and, you know, how, how that works. Cause I think people don't fully appreciate that when you get a really good private equity group, they're not trying to like, it's not assets under management, you know, and like, right. okay, let's move on to the next deal. It's like, you're going to be with these guys for three to five years or maybe longer. And you're going to build a business and they're going to be an extension of your, of your company. Right. Right. I think you think you divide what we do into, well, not what we do, but if you have a growth company, and you're lucky enough to have that kind of engine, right? There's the day-to-day blocking and tackling and industry-related stuff that you expect your team to, to be good at. And you have to have a team that's good at. You can't do that for them. But what private equity brings to the table, right, is an ability to take a company to the next level and realize its growth potential much quicker than it might otherwise realize it with, you know, just family ownership. And so that's in many ways, what you try to do as a private equity firm is create that mindset and, and, and create the infrastructure to allow that to happen. So mm-hmm. you're going in there, you're, first of all, first and foremost, helping people prioritize what their growth strategy is. Because you're not just throwing things against a wall. If you lose time in private equity, 
you've lost money, right? Because our, our horizons are three, five, six years, very right, short right. time horizons. Mm-hmm. So prioritization of initiatives, you have to know them almost before you buy the company. And that's a lot about what our due diligence is. Um, it's figuring out what the growth thesis is and where exactly we're going to go at it in the early years. Putting in place the right team around it and making sure you spend the money you need to and hire the right people is incredibly critical. Mm-hmm. Um, too much money has been saved sacrificing growth theses along the way in private equity. So that's very important. Um, in terms of creating in the consumer world a product development engine and capability and making sure that's professionalized is absolutely mission critical. And many of the companies we've, we come across have an innovative mindset, but they don't have a process and a procedure around how to do that systematically. And when mm-hmm. you're dealing with retail or you're dealing with, even if it's services, you have to you have to innovate constantly and you have to do it on a regular regimented basis. That's what people have to realize. Um, sorry. So what, one, one of the things that I, uh, that I find interesting about, you know, when you and I talk about what's going on in the industry, whether it's one of your portfolio companies or, or companies that you're talking to, the wealth of, of data and intelligence that you have, like it's almost like a, an entrepreneur, like you're never going to know yeah. what other deals are in the market. You know, we, we were actually doing an interview yesterday with a guy and he's like, look, you know, I, I look at like four or 500, you know, info memos on, on companies a year. I can't delete what I learned from my brain. Like I can give back to confidential information, but look, I know how people price products in Target and Walmart. I know how those negotiations are. I know what those contracts look like. And I, it's not like I've got, I can go from one portfolio company to another and like delete that part of my Dropbox. Like this is like an evolution of knowledge. Now I can just basically drop on a situation in a company. So maybe talk about like how you know, in investing in the halo sector or investing in companies that are similar, like they, they have a path and there's certain material agreements that you guys are like important yeah. to, to like opine on. That's a, So yes, there's the stuff you learn just generally in the industry, which is incredibly valuable, but there's also like just the data from the company that people aren't looking at. They're not harvesting it and then analyzing because they don't have the time. It's sure. not that they don't want to see it. It's just yeah. they don't have the time or the resources. And I'll give you an example in the halo sector. So we uh, own a gym company. It's the Lord, the largest gym company in Puerto Rico. Right. Um, and when we bought it, it was having big attrition issues. I mean, Puerto Rico is not a particularly high-income market, so there was a lot of folks attriting at higher rates than, we're, than we were used to in other, other gym companies. And um, we had to get our arms around it, right? So we basically got the entire database of members, past and present, when they joined and when they attrited. So we're talking about an enormous volume of data. And we started carving it up to try and see if we could see patterns about when were people attriting um, and why were they attriting. Unfortunately, we didn't have great data on why, but we did have a lot of great data on when. And it just so happened that um, there were, the attrition trend was such that at about a year, our, our, the, attrition ra- the attrition rates went up dramatically, right at that 12, 13-month point. So we said, well, what can we do about this? You know, we have these people who stick around. They pay for a while, and then they're, they're leaving all at the same time, pretty much. The way we addressed it was we changed our pricing strategy. We said, look, if you stay for a year and renew, your, your rate's going to go down. You're going to get a loyalty benefit, mm-hmm. okay, for sticking around. All right? This was a product of our research, and this was just a test. In fact, I don't know any other gym company that, that I know of that's done this, at least in a systematic basis. Um, he said, and if you stayed for three, two years, you'd get another loyalty discount, mm-hmm. right? So one time or like their monthly dues would go? Their monthly dues would go down yeah, a little okay. bit. Um, okay. 
But once you attrit, you can't get it back. In other words, you remember for two years, you leave, six months, you come back, you say, hey, I want to come back to the gym. You don't get your loyalty discount anymore. You got to stay a continuous member. Mm-hmm. Not only was this very well received from a marketing standpoint, it totally changed the attrition trend. Wow. It, our attrition has gone down about five percentage points. And you don't see this anymore. You don't see this one-year drop-off. And this is simply a product of looking at data, right? right? There was, it wasn't that we were geniuses. It was that we saw a trend and said, we could, let's try to address it, right? And we have these insights all the time in private equity. And so the owner who's selling us the business may know the industry a lot better than we do. And in fact, they generally do because they lived and breathed it for their mm-hmm. entire life. But they haven't had the time or the resources to do this kind of analysis, which is what we help bring to the table and can really change things almost overnight if you do it right. Yeah, we uh, we tend to see when we're working with founder businesses and going to market, by the time we go to market, they actually know more about their business than they've ever known. Yeah, it's very <laughs> eye-opening. You, you don't really do that on, a, on an annual basis. There, w- there was one group that we had worked with several years ago who they used to do an annual management presentation basically to themselves to basically say, okay, we're always prepared to sell the business and we're always prepared to look at the business the way a buyer would potentially look at the business and made them more professional as a, as a company. So let's pivot to, um, you know, you've invested in, in a number of deals in what we call the halo sector. You know, how do you view your personal preferences and your hobbies? You know, I heard a, a rumor that you do CrossFit, Thought you'd look now. You look like you do CrossFit. Congratulations! We'll turn this into a video one day. So, you know, you you, you live this lifestyle, so you kind of know that okay, there are certain products that that resonate with you, and certain brands that resonate with you. So, how does that frame, you know, one your passion for investing in those types of companies, and two, you know, how you view what your own behavior is and psychology, and that kind of says, okay, look, if I'm buying this product and I'm willing to overpay or pay for it, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of people like me. So. How do you how do you think about that as like a lens without getting too out of control of like I'm a, I'm an enthusiast about a lot of things so maybe that's not a private equity deal for Topspin but it might be a Lee Randall you know uh, you know product that's going to be on the shelf so how do you think about that and how do you how does that help you well when you're in the consumer market right and more in, and this applies to Halo as well as other consumer sectors if you're a consumer of what you're investing in you're constantly looking at it right? Even outside the business context. And so when brands come to you or ideas come to you, you've thought about them before. Mm-hmm. You've come across them and you have, and you have, and you can place them into context, which, you know, if you, if you're not living and breathing it on a personal level, you, you sort of coming out of it in a vacuum and you don't really know what you're looking at. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm huge. I'm a huge fitness buff. Been doing some sort of fitness since I was 13. I'm now a CrossFitter, and I won't bore your audience with all, all of that because they've, they've heard that many times over. But I coach CrossFit. I've been doing it for six years. Um, I've tried just about every studio concept you can imagine. I consider myself a guinea pig, right, okay. for my own business and, and just personally because I love it. So um, when I hear of a new fitness concept, I've already heard of it. In other words, if someone brings it to me on a business level, um, often if it's a consumer brand in and around the Halo sector – it's something I've already seen and noticed. Right. Right. And um, that gives me an immediate ability to say, you know, is it for real? Is it is it a legit brand, one that people in these markets really connect with? Or is it just a Me Too sort of also ran type of brand? And I think that's valuable. I mean, it sort of goes back to Peter Lynch, right? Peter Lynch was a big, famous investor. And he said, get to know, if you're investing in things, get to know them on a personal level. Right. right? Because that will help you connect with them better and really see what the underlying thesis is about. So 
Uh, I live and breathe it. It's probably why I invest in it, because I enjoy it so much. I enjoy thinking about how to grow these brands, how to make them better. And I, and I enjoy discovering new ones, you know? So, uh, does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. No, it okay, does. Good. It's great. Um, so, so in closing here, talk about the, um, you know, I know you're going out for a, uh, for another fund, um, to, you know, to, to go and buy some more companies and, and build them to, to greatness. So what, what does that look like? And, um, you know, if there are investors that want to get involved or if there's companies that want to kind of get in line to potentially be a portfolio company, what's the timing on that? And, you know, tell us about what the struck, you know, how you guys structure that and who's the investors in it. Yeah, sure. We, uh, we've historically catered to family office, high net worth investors, which is, I'm sure a group we're going to continue to cater to. It gives us great flexibility in terms of, you know, hold periods and what we invest in. But fundamentally, we're going to keep doing what we're doing. And we have, and by the way, there is no pause. We're, we're doing deals right now. Um, sure, yeah. We have uh, a lot of stuff in the pipeline, which is very interesting. But the way we position ourselves to, the, to our fundraising markets, the same way I've positioned myself to you today, we love up-and-coming consumer brands with what we think is very exciting growth. That, that's what gets our investors excited. That's what gets us excited. We have a health wellness bent. Um, so anything that touches on, as you would say, Pete, halo. Thank you. Is, is something, if you, if you were to come to us, you would get not only a very knowledgeable you know, investor who understands the marketplace you're operating in, but uh, you're going to get one, uh, you're going to get a group that loves the sector, right? Mm-hmm. And lives and breathes it. And uh, I think it's, you know, that's, that's how we position ourselves to our investors. You know, we're in a great sector where the trend, secular trends are amazing. Uh, people are much more focused on healthy living now than they were 10, even 10 years ago. I remember I went on a carb-free diet about 10 years ago mm-hmm. and people looked at me like I was nuts, right? Cause I wasn't eating bread. Right. Nowadays, everybody you come across is not eating gluten or, or, or processed uh, carbs or whatever it may be. So the world is changing for the better in the, in, in the halo sector. Um, and people are much more attuned to it. And that gives us tremendous opportunity to invest. And, and, and before, and before we roll out of here, like what was the genesis of the, uh, of the name topspin? Well, uh, it tennis, but also what does topspin connotate, right? Positive momentum. Yeah. Great. Right? We want to bring that to our companies, build on whatever momentum they've already got. Amazing. All right. Well, Lee, it's been great to have you as a friend, have you as a guest, and uh, let's keep making uh, these great entrepreneurs even better. Let's do it. And to to the Halo sector, you are now officially certified. So, Lee Randall, congratulations. I'm anointed. Good to see you again. Thank you, Pete. My pleasure. You got it. 